Hello to all of you out there. I am Ulrike Seminati, host of the podcast Empowering Female Leaders for Women Who Want to Thrive. Every week you will get new perspectives, exciting insights, and empowering messages of women from all over the globe. Welcome to another episode of my podcast, Empowering Female Leaders. Today, I am pleased to welcome Amy Wong, who is the founder of Always on Purpose. She's a leadership coach, author, speaker, and facilitator, working with organizations such as Salesforce, Roku, LinkedIn, and more. Amy offers transformative leadership development and cutting-edge communication strategies to executives and teams around the world, as well as institutions including Stanford University and the University of California at Berkeley. She has a passion for helping leaders identify blind spots, reclaim precious time, energy, and creative bandwidth, and create next-level impact. Her best-selling new book, Living on Purpose, won 2022 Book of the Year by the Magic Pen. Hello, Amy, and a very warm welcome. I'm pleased to have you here. Oh, I'm tickled to be here. I'm so excited for our conversation. Yeah, me too. And we have a lot of things in common in how we do things. So I think it will be really interesting and half an hour will pass by like nothing. <laughs> we'll speak today about how we can master or get rid of, if that's possible at all, of imposter syndrome, something that many female leaders face in the corporate world where we just feel not good enough and by this try to put on a corporate armor, <laughs> mm -hmm. show up as a specific type of leader we think we should be, and by this losing a lot of energy in this and potentially also never being really satisfied and happy. Such a big topic, yeah. Imposter syndrome comes up all the time. And I would say it's not even just women. Men are plagued with this as well. I think it's part of our human conditioning as we grow up, the beliefs that we take on and, and how we're programmed to seek social acceptance with one another. That's really part of our neurobiology. And so it's it's something a lot of us, I mean, most of us, if not every one of us, struggles with, contends with at some point, really depending on the context. And well, first off, let's define it. What is imposter syndrome? Imposter syndrome is that experience where here you are in your current reality, and there's this belief that you don't have what it takes and that you've tricked everybody into thinking that you know what you're doing. And everybody's counting on you, and you're thinking, oh my gosh, if they only knew the truth, oh no, my whole world will come crashing down. And so it's this really pervasive, very uncomfortable insecurity that you're really a fake, and that everybody believes in you more than you believe in yourself. That's really what imposter syndrome is, and it's a tremendous anchor, emotional, mental, even spiritual, it weighs us down. And it's just a habit of mind. And it can start really with not understanding the difference between doubt and self-doubt. And this is something I talk a lot about with leaders. And, you know, doubt, I think, is a very healthy thing. If we're going to jump into a project, if we're going to do something, if we're, we've got an initiative, if we, we go forth in life, and we're going to have a very healthy experience of Do I know, do I have all the pieces in place? Have I done all my preparation? Am I factoring in all the assumptions? Am I covering all my bases? Do I have the exact skills needed for right now? Have I reached out to the right resources to help me? Can I do right by 
this X, Y, Z. That's healthy, right? I think doubt is a very healthy thing. We want to be striving for excellence. We want to be striving for completeness. And there's nothing wrong with wondering, are all the pieces in play? Do I have all the content? Do I have all the, you know, that's healthy. That's what's going to help us be really good. But when we conflate doubt with self-doubt and self-doubt, what is that? I'm inherently incapable. I'm inherently incompetent. I'm inherently not enough for the task at hand. That's destructive. And so when we begin to conflate doubt with self-doubt, that's when imposter syndrome starts to bubble up. And man, is that a debilitating experience. What can we do when we're in this situation? Because obviously it's easier said than done. We say, well, you're in this place for a reason. You deserve to be here. You have a lot of qualifications and all of that. But in truly embracing the fact that we have a certain amount of competencies, that we have a track record of successes in the past we can build on, it's very hard when you have this mental wiring of not being good enough. What is the mm -hmm. first step to overcome this? I'll start from kind of the top-down approach because there are so many ways to approach this. And when I say top-down, really kind of looking at a topical approach, like what are some of the tactics, you know? Because we could go from a really deep place and look and, and transform like an entire belief scaffolding that we have within us, but that would probably take a series of conversations. <laughs> so we'll look at it from a top-down perspective. I personally, I feel really privileged because I have had thousands of conversations with so many differing individuals from every walk of every all the walks of life, from you know, right out of college all the way to you know billionaires and and across the entire spectrum, and not. One individual has come to me saying, I have never been plagued with this. And so I'll always share with folks, look, every single one of us are silently suffering. Don't think for a second that you're the only one. And so just equalizing the playing field, humanizing the experience can be a really big first step reminder. So if we enter into the, uh, that meeting, if we've got to get up on that stage for that presentation or whatever it may be, and we're feeling that, that self-doubt, we're feeling that imposter syndrome, first step is, whoa, hold on. This is such a human predicament. I am not unique here. Everyone struggles with this. And there's a quote I love, I, I, I say often, and the quote is, be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. And that's just a truth. So that's the first step is recognize that you think this is unique to, to you. It's not. And I'll guarantee you, your boss feels it. Your boss's boss feels it at times. It just happens. And so recognizing that this is a very human experience can take its power away. That's the first step. And then the second step. And so I, I detail this in my book, Living on Purpose. And it's everybody's favorite chapter. The chapter's titled, it's chapter four. It's titled, I should you not. And everyone says, this, this is the chapter. It's titled, I should you not. And so step two in, in, in how we can topically address and alleviate, topically address imposter syndrome and alleviate the symptoms is just remembering, okay, this is going to be somewhat philosophical, but just remembering that there is no way things or you should be, period. There is no way things should go. There's, there, it's just, there is no should about it. And a lot of times we feel crippled because we think we're not measuring up to some imaginary standard. And this is where I encourage people to think, okay, well, if you think there's a way, there, there's a way you should, there's, 
There's so much that you should know. There's a way you should have gone about it. I'm going to really encourage you to look at this word should. This is where I say should according to who? Like should implies that there's some big book in the sky called the big book of shoulds. And if you're going to do it right, you're going to be excellent. You're going to be the best. You got to do it just like this. But guess what? That does not exist. So a lot of our insecurity is fed by this false paradigm that we all will hold ourselves hostage to, this should paradigm. It's like should according to who? There is no way this should go. There is no way this should be. There is no should about it. And so when we can we can find relief in, oh, right. There's just, there's just my best guess and that's enough, right? So that's the second step. And then this is where we really have to reach. To, and so the, the bigger conversation about beliefs, if we're feeling imposter syndrome, so this is where it gets a little deeper. So we're kind of going down here, top down. This is where if you're feeling imposter syndrome, essentially what you're entertaining is a belief that you're not good enough in this moment. A belief that you're not capable in this moment, that you're inherently, something's inherently lacking. And that you just have to look at. You say, do I really want to entertain this right now? Do I really? Because I get to choose this. I get to choose this. And and if I am entertaining this, I'm choosing that. And this does me absolutely no good. We get to choose our beliefs. And so a lot of people say, well, it feels true. And I'm like, well, if it, 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 yeah, because you keep choosing it. Not because it's inherently true. The truth is, and so this is what I'm going to invite you into step, the third step here. I'm going to invite you into taking this on. It's a leap. It's a step to freedom. But the step is you just have to choose to know you're inherently whole and complete. Does that mean you're perfect? No. Does that mean you're excellent? No. Does that mean you're the best? No. Does it mean you're not going to make mistakes? No. It just means you're whole and complete and capable and worthy and deserving and enough. And guess what? You go forth and you produce stuff. There are results. The results don't mean anything about you. It's just data. It's just information that you get to iterate back into the system. And so if we can unhook this meaning we assign to the stuff we produce, to our inherent worth, that's when, we, that's when we're free. And unhooking sounds very simple, but sometimes we have this resistance because obviously all these thoughts and all these beliefs that we have that we are not good enough are preventing us from taking risks, are helping us to avoid pain. All of these paradigms or patterns that human beings have to keep, well, to stay alive, basically. It's the role of our ego. It's protecting us. And it's protecting us, I would say, in a very clumsy way, in the sense that we don't have to involve ourselves, but that's the role of the ego. The ego doesn't care if you feel good. The ego wants us to survive. So it comes up with this well, devaluating stuff on ourselves, making us smaller so that we stay in our safe zone and this is why you feel this resistance that, okay, believing that I can unhook this, that I can get beyond that, that I can take that decision. There's something, it feels like, I don't know, a heavy stone inside of myself that I yeah. have to pull with me and it doesn't come. Okay, so here's, here's where we kind of take it deeper. There's a massive difference between the paradigm of believing and the paradigm of knowing. And so in short form, Due to our neurobiology, as we are growing up, we imprint beliefs about ourselves. I'm smart. I believe I'm good. I believe I'm not smart. I believe I'm not good enough. We, we concretize, we imprint beliefs about ourselves in order to make sense of our experience, and namely, in order to make sense of the pain of rejection, because rejection to the, the brain really registers as death. It re registers as, as pain. And so on a non-conscious level, we're doing everything we can to avoid 
rejection and, and seek social acceptance. So the way in which the brain and the psyche protects itself, and you're pointing to it, so I'll just name it this way. The way in which it protects itself is it takes on beliefs in order to navigate the world very strategically. But what are beliefs? Beliefs are like lenses, like glasses that we put on, right? So if I, for example, if I have a belief that the world is a good place and I take that belief on and I imprint this belief, I have a belief that the world is a good place. Essentially, it's like wearing glasses that attune my vision to look for all the evidence that can that that validates my belief. That's what beliefs do. What beliefs are, beliefs are like lenses that that turn a unconditional reality into a conditional reality. When we have beliefs and we have beliefs about ourselves, essentially what happens is we take an objective reality and we now make it full of meaning and conditional. And so before we put take on beliefs, now big difference between belief and knowing, believing and knowing. Before we take on beliefs, like let's say I just know myself as whole and complete. And this is why if you look at toddlers, if you look at like a two-year-old or a three-year-old, isn't it just the most delightful thing to be with those little guys? They're just so much fun. And the reason they're so fun and the reason we love being with toddlers is because they are so free. They don't have any beliefs about themselves. They just know themselves to be whole and complete. And because they know themselves to just be whole, there's no belief that they're good or not good or enough or not enough they go forth and they could care less about what people think because it doesn't even register because they are objectively, unconditionally whole and complete. Nothing looks like evidence, right? But the moment we put on a, we take on a belief, oh, I believe I'm smart. I believe I'm not good enough. The world now conspires to this belief. And so we take these beliefs on young, say two, three, four, five, you know, it doesn't matter. We, it just happens. And starting at that age, now what happens is because our sense of self gets placed in this paradigm of belief, everything looks like evidence. And it's not evidence. It's just because you got these glasses on. And so with these glasses of, oh, I'm not good enough, you're going to do everything you can to avoid this kind of evidence and do and accumulate this kind of evidence and see these kinds of people and act like this and not do that. And so for decades, with these glasses on, you get really good at being practiced with this conditional self, meaning you need conditions to validate your sense of self. And the challenge with that is that if we need conditions to validate our sense of self, we'll never be free because of the nature of conditions and proof themselves. So essentially with beliefs, right? So let me just go further. Inherent in a belief is the possibility that the converse is true, right? So if I said, I believe the world is a nice place, a good place, you might believe it's not a good place, right? So there's this duality here. But the reason for that is because of the nature of belief. It requires proof. You would never just insert a belief that, like, I just believe it's a good, a nice world out there. It, it falls flat without evidence, right? So I'm always, I'm, I'm accumulating conditions in order to assert a belief. So, you know, oh, look, I see this person helping this lady across the street. I see this. I see that. These are all the reason I can say, I believe the world's a good place. Now you, if you believe it's not a good place, you're going to see all the proof otherwise. And so we're constantly up against this thing, this looking for proof. But here's the tricky thing about proof. If your sense of self needs proof to validate any sense of security, enoughness, wholeness, deservability, belonging, acceptance, You'll never be free because 
in order to see proof, you got to see the counterproof, right? So it's kind of like up doesn't exist without down. Birth doesn't exist without death. Light doesn't exist without dark. You can't have this proof unless you see it against its counterproof. And for that reason, as long as we go searching for certain types of proof to validate our sense of self, we're always going to see the counterproof, which is going to prove that we're not good enough. And so we are on this ridiculously exhausting hamster wheel, constantly trying to prove our self-worth. Now, going back to what you were saying, like, it feels like this weight, you know, how do we unhook? It seems so simple. Well, this is the paradox. It is that simple. But the reason it doesn't feel simple is because you've spent decades practicing proving. And so all of your perceptual muscles have, are really good at validating, that needing proof to validate, justify what it is that you believe. And it feels really weird to say, well, I, I'm just going to know that I'm whole. Every part of you is going to say, well, well, hold on. You can only do that after you get that promotion. Oh, yeah, sure. You can say that you're whole as soon as you make, you know, you double your income. And it's like, nope, you just hopped right back into the paradigm of belief. The moment you make yourself conditional, you are trapped. And so what makes it easy is to understand that knowing, that's the other paradigm, knowing is just a choice. It's a choice that you make regardless of the conditions. It's a, just a choice. And because how many times have you been in a conversation where you're like, no, I just know. And they're like, no, but look. And you're like, no, I just know. I just know. And they're like, no, 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 look, look. And you're like, no, I just know. And even though the evidence might be counter to what you're claiming, what you're saying is, well, no, I just know. And so we have to decide we're worth it. And this is the leap. And it's simple. You have to be so tired of feeling crappy that you just have to decide I'm done. Because guess what? I was born whole and complete. I've been whole and complete. I just decided I wasn't at some point in order to make sense of the pain of rejection. And I've been living with these glasses. But underneath all of it, I've been whole and complete. So I'm going to go back to that. And I'm just going to choose to know that I'm whole and complete. And I'm going to know that. And it's the easiest thing we'll ever do because we just choose it. But it might feel like the hardest thing because we are so, so practiced in wanting to prove it. So it's a different perceptual muscle. Last I'll say about this, just to help people understand what it feels like. The analogy I use, it's kind of like, you know, have you ever been at a door and you're pushing and you're trying to open it and you're like, Ugh, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, <laughs> pull. And then you pull the door open. It's that what what's required to hop from believing to knowing is the same kind of perceptual out of the box, aha, but it's a totally different muscle. It's a totally different action. And it's a heck of a lot easier. But in order to discover that you gotta gotta do it slightly different, like that requires that that'll come to you. But the moment you got it, then you'll know you'll be able to open doors from there on, right? So the moment you know what it feels like to choose to know, despite the evidence, you got it for life. Just like you know, you can open any door by pulling instead of pushing. Are you proposing any exercises to your clients to change that paradigm? to help them to feel how it is to choose. Because I think many people just start choosing on a very rational level and then it doesn't work because it doesn't go deeper and mm. they fight then against something inside and tackle it probably just from a very superficial level. What, yeah. what do you help them? Well, so if we're going to hop from believing to knowing, because that's the trick, that's the secret, that, that's freedom, that's power, that's joy. If we're going to make the hop, we have to know what we're hopping to. 
So yes, we're hopping to this idea that you're whole and complete, but you got to get perceptually familiar with that. And so what I encourage people to, to do is it's like, okay, can you right now, and I'll just ask you, can you right now know in the same way you know your name, in the same way you know your gender, right? you know that, you don't believe it, you know that, you, you, in the same way you know certain things, can you know right now that you're whole, that you're born whole? And most people in, in, a, in a calm moment can say, yeah, I got that because all of us have that capacity. Like, yeah, okay, I know that. And so now the next question is, all right, cool. So what qualities make you you that are rooted in this truth that don't arise from a belief, a fear, an act, a survival mechanism, something that has arisen as, as a way to protect yourself and prove your enoughness? What qualities make you you that are rooted in this wholeness that is not rooted in a fear? People think, oh, yeah, what makes you you that's rooted in truth? Not a fear. And then you sit with that. And the cool thing about this is you can answer with whatever you want. It's whatever you want it to be is who you are. So you might say, I'm strength, I'm creativity, I'm joy, I'm love, I'm generosity, I am um, kindness, I am compassion. Whatever, whatever resonates, whatever feels delightful to consider, that's who you are. It's like, okay, okay. So I've got a couple core qualities. Yeah, I am empowerment. I am joy. I am energy. Okay, cool. So that's your home base. That's what you hop back to. And so we first have to know, like, who is it that you, who are you that isn't an act? And then I would say as a, as a practice, step one, you have to care way more about how you feel because how you feel is telling you how you're doing. And if you care about how you feel, because you don't want to catch your thoughts, your thoughts, as you, as we all know, our thoughts are crazy. I've <laughs> been trying to catch our thoughts is an unwinnable battle. So don't catch your thoughts. Care about how you feel and how you feel is telling you, am I rocking it right now and I'm, I'm empowered and you can tell or am I feeling debilitated unsure hesitant anxious well that's a sign so step two is catch when you're not feeling empowered when you're not feeling grounded when you're not feeling effective that's just a sign don't worry step two is just telling you hey right now I must be in the paradigm of belief no big deal so step three is just acknowledge that whoa okay you know what I am entertaining some beliefs about myself that I took on a long time ago in order to make sense of my life. They're not true. It's not true that I'm not good enough. I just took that on because, hey, you know, because my first grade teacher made fun of me because I did something silly and like I just decided I must not be good. Like all that, it's not true. But, but really what more importantly, the moment we catch that we're feeling this, that's an indicator. It's our cue to claim, oh, I am in this moment, I, I know, and it's important you say that I know, words matter. Our words create our world. And we can't, we have to banish belief. I believe I'm good enough. I believe I'm, I'm smart here. No, 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 no. That'll keep you trapped and needing proof just by nature of the word. So we have to say, I know I got this. I know I'm enough. I know I am capable. And what's so powerful is when you assert that to yourself, I know this the game changes, your perception changes. And in that shift, you have this inner wisdom of right. And so therefore, stuff's going to happen. I'm going to do my best and we'll just see, and we'll see, we, we'll get data, we'll get data, but the data, and here's, here's, here's bonus step five, my favorite step, you have to assert, all this stuff doesn't mean anything about me. This result doesn't mean anything about me. 
This mistake doesn't mean anything about me. This, this win, this accomplishment doesn't mean anything about my inherent worth. It's just data. And that probably right there is the most powerful step is to unhook the meaning we assign to the stuff of life. Because the moment you unhook it, you are automatically living in that paradigm of knowing because guess what? Knowing is unconditional. And knowing, that's freedom. Yeah, I can see the difference because when you have negative things happening to you, then we very often look very closely to that. We pay a lot of attention to that instead of paying more attention to our core, to this energy or whatever it is, what you say, finding who you really are and making it simple. Because many people think when I have to find who I really am, I have to like have a full description of my whole identity in a certain way. It's very complex. And again, it will be full of wrong beliefs, certainly. <laughs> That was just saying, I like that very much, actually, to just feel yourself back into this small child that you have been one one day. Yeah. And yeah. a word, one word or two on it. And not more, not a huge. Yeah. No. Yeah. And, and, and so let, let arise organically whatever word feels amazing. So, you know, I practice this all the time. And what I, I'll share is that this is a moment by moment practice. This isn't a switch we find where all of a sudden we go from believing to knowing all the time. It's, it's a life practice. And you do this because you care about how you feel. That's it. And if you care about how you feel, you're going to catch when you're, when you're off track. And so you come back and you come back and you come back. And so in one day, I'm totally cool. And I'm living in, in knowing all day. But then the next day, I might have some really high stakes meeting. And in this high stakes meeting, somebody throws a, a zinger at me or a curveball question. Whoa, I'm going to get my mic get pulled to this. Oh my God, do I know what I'm talking about? Do I really belong here? But because that feels so uncomfortable. Wait, no, 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 Amy, Amy, I got this. I am empowerment. I am clarity. I am joy. I know I am capable. I know I got this. That That's really, and it doesn't mean anything if I get this wrong. It doesn't mean anything. Yeah. This, and you know what? We can make it this fun. This thing called life could just be fun. And that's, that's, again, I'll offer, if we decide to look at this as fun, versus daunting and hard and overwhelming and oh my gosh there's so much to remember and i've got i've got decades of conditioning it's going to take me decades to uncondition myself i say no it's not just make it fun make it fun because remember everybody's struggling and you're i'm everyone and so just know you're you're not alone and all of us we just want to feel safe belong and seen with one another and we want to do good so just ease up go easier on yourself yeah, have fun with it. Yeah, that's a really good advice because I think it's all about detaching it from a result. We are very oh, yeah. result-oriented. Many people, and especially leaders or people in leadership positions, are there because they are result-oriented. And so we fall into the trap of always expecting a result. And if we do that with exactly that thing where we say, oh, if I say I'm pure energy, and then I expect a specific result behind, I already put on a lot of beliefs and a lot of complicated things, which are not fun, which don't feel easy or light. And and I don't achieve what I want to achieve actually with it. So I think detaching it from this level of expectations that we have because this is exactly what brought us to the imposter syndrome in, in the first place. So that's exactly right. And having this lightness and allowing for that is something that we do not practice enough in our lives. Just feeling that once, it's like you want to go back every single time again. Yes. You know, I that well said. And just something I assert for myself, and I'll invite anyone to take this on, is every so often, just assert, my sense of self is not conditional. 
who I am is not conditional. I am unconditionally whole. But I mean, but recognizing that doesn't mean I'm perfect. Doesn't mean I'm ex. It just means I'm whole. I'm enough. Unconditionally. My sense of self is not conditional. <laughs> Thank you, Amy. So as expected, time was flying by. Where can people find you? Yes. Well, lots of resources, lots of information on my website, which is always on purpose. And I'm on LinkedIn. So LinkedIn's big for me. Amy Elisa Wong. You can also look for always on purpose and find me that way. And I have an Instagram account. I just don't use it. So you can follow me, but Amy Elisa Wong there, but I'm not really on it that much. <laughs> but please definitely check out my book, Living on Purpose, Five Deliberate Choices to Realize Fulfillment and Joy. Thank you very much, Amy, for this fantastic conversation. It was absolutely great to have you here. Thank you. A pleasure. This was another episode of Empowering Female Leaders. What are the questions and topics in female leadership that you are interested in? Let me know in the comments on YouTube and Instagram or join our LinkedIn group. I am excited to hear from you. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe for new talks with inspiring women from all around the globe. Thank you for listening.